Welcome to today's Ask the Ex Experts webinar. Now, without any further delay, I'd like to introduce today's host, David Molman with Align Technology. David, you have the floor. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Stop the Daily Grind and Just Breathe with Dr. Ben Moralian. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you'll receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to Invisalign Doctor Site account. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Academy tab of your Invisalign Doctor's site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Dr. Ben Moralia. Dr. Ben Moralia has been providing Invisalign treatment to patients at his Mount Kisco private practice for more than 10 years. Since 2008, he has been an Invisalign faculty speaker, speaking internationally to thousands of dentists. Recently honored with a position on the President's Council of Northern Westchester Hospital in Mount Kisco, New York, Dr. Moralia is also on the Board of Directors for the American Academy of Cosmetic Orthodontists and the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry. He is a graduate of the State University of New York at Buffalo School of Dental Medicine and is a member of the Omicron Kappa Upsilon Dental Honor Society. Dr. Moralia completed a general practice residency program at Danbury Hospital in Connecticut. So without further delay, I'm going to turn the program over to Dr. Moralia. Dr. Moralia, you now have the floor. Thank you very much for that kind introduction, and welcome to Stop the Daily Grind and Just Breathe. We'll be exploring the connection between malocclusion, sleep disorder breathing, and TMD. Let's begin with sleep disorder breathing. A recent news release from the ADA suggested that dentists are the only health care provider with the knowledge and expertise to provide oral appliance therapy. Certainly with the rise in awareness of sleeping and breathing disorders and the use of sleep studies and CPAP machines, the dental community does have a relationship with these items and can possibly have an impact on our patient's overall health. So we'll be exploring how this might affect a dental team or dental office. What is the most common orthodontic problem? It's a crowded malocclusion. When we take a look at our patients and we think about the different types of malocclusions that we would see, we would recognize that crowding is much more common than spacing. So our focus will be on the crowded malocclusion since that's the most common of the malocclusions. Recognizing that there's a cause of that crowding, our focus would be on the improper arch form, the improper arch width, and the improper buccolingual inclination. Our goal is always to prevent or treat dental disease. And recognizing that malocclusion is a disease, we would focus on its cause and the crowded malocclusion always originates from an improper arch form, an improper arch width, and an improper buccolingual inclination. So we have an opportunity to treat the cause as long as we've diagnosed it correctly. Once we've made the diagnosis, our pathway to solving the crowded malocclusion would be to correct the arch form, correct the arch width, and to correct or provide an appropriate buccolingual inclination to our teeth. As a GP focus, we're focusing on the transverse dimension and the vertical dimension. In the transverse dimension, we have three items to consider, the first being arch form. If we look at the left side of the screen, we'll notice a proper arch form. It's a beautiful dome. From one side to the other, from tooth two through 15, the upper arch is shaped 
in a beautiful dome. And anytime we have a proper arch form, we have the beginnings of having a great and healthy occlusion. If we see on the middle and the right side of the screen, the V and the omega, these are very common. Most of the adults that would come through our practice, we would recognize as having a V-shaped or an omega-shaped arch form. They're both improper. The V-shaped and the omega-shaped arch forms deliver malocclusions. So once we recognize a patient has a V or an omega, we would know they have a malocclusion. There's no chance the teeth could come together and function cooperatively or protectively. So recognizing most of our patients will show up with a V or an omega-shaped arch form, we have plenty of malocclusion to treat. The goal is to take that improper arch form, whether it's a V or an omega, and convert it to a proper arch form with our GP Invisalign orthodontic technique. The second component of the transverse dimension is arch width, and there is such a thing as a proper arch width. Fantastic research out of the University of Michigan showed that healthy occlusions exist in a range between 35 and 39 millimeters between the upper first molars. On the left side of the screen, we have an example of an appropriate arch width, 36 millimeters in between the upper first molars, helps establish that proper arch form and proper arch width. It's a broad, wide open palette. As we move to the right side of the screen, the distance between the upper first molars is decreasing. 32 millimeters, 30 millimeters, and 25 millimeters. Of course, as we move to the right side of the screen, we're picking up the V and omega shaped arches. As we have the improper arch form and the improper arch width, we're well on our way to having a malocclusion that could benefit from clear aligner or Invisalign therapy. As the arch gets more narrow, you start to recognize a difference at the palate. The roof of the mouth on the left side of the screen looks like a perfect imprint of the tongue. And even though the tongue is attached in the mandible, the home for the tongue, or its full resting place, is the palate. So our palate, when we have an appropriate arch form and an appropriate arch width, looks like an imprint of the tongue, because that's where the tongue would be while we're nasal breathing and our lips are sealed. We would have our tongue in the roof of the mouth. As we move to 32 millimeters, then 30 millimeters, then 25 millimeters, all of a sudden what we're doing here is squeezing the back teeth together, but what it does is it starts to compromise the home for the tongue. So not only are we getting an increase in the crowding as the arch gets more narrow, another level we'll start to explore is what's happening to the home for the tongue. And even though we say home for the tongue loosely, in the research we would find words like oral cavity volume. So the more professional way to think about the space that the tongue has is to use the words oral cavity volume. The more narrow the arch, the less the oral cavity volume for the tongue. The third component of the transverse dimension is the buccolingual inclination. The buccolingual inclination is a bunch of fancy words that's a simple concept. It just means how are the back teeth inclined? Bucco is cheek and lingual is tongue. So buccolingual, cheek to tongue inclination. It just means whether or not the back teeth are upright and vertical or are they leaning in. Certainly the proper buccolingual inclination would be vertical or upright teeth. If our teeth are more vertically positioned, then they receive vertical force as we're using them. And that vertical force is very protective. So we see very little damage or change over time when our back teeth are upright or vertical. On the left side of the screen is a very good example of proper buccolingual inclination. The right side of the screen is a little bit different. The back teeth are leaning in. Improper buccolingual inclination, back teeth leaning in, produces horizontal force. 
So when our back teeth are leaning in and we start using them in function, we receive horizontal force, we receive interference type contact, and our teeth, our gum, our bone, our jaw joints, these things weren't built to receive horizontal force. So we get a lot of damage or deterioration over time through improper buccolingual inclination. The main difference between the back teeth being upright and vertical or being tilted or leaning towards the tongue is the difference in the type of force distribution that the teeth will receive. Vertical force is protective. Horizontal force is destructive. So let's review what's healthy. The credentials of a good occlusion. Every good occlusion begins with a proper arch form and a proper arch width, followed by proper buccolingual inclination. These three items are the hallmark or starting point of a good occlusion. It's just impossible to have a wonderful, healthy, and protective occlusion if we don't have a good arch form, width, and buccolingual inclination. So every good occlusion starts with those three items. After those three items, it includes a proper overbite, a proper overjet, anterior canine guided or protected occlusion, and last but not least, posterior intercuspation without interference. An occlusion that has these components can be described as healthy, stable, functional, comfortable, and last but not least, aesthetically pleasing. Basically delivering those components, the credentials of a good occlusion, is putting the teeth where they belong. And when your teeth are where they belong, it usually results in a very nice smile. Now let's explore the effect on the tongue's home. If we have improper arch form, improper arch width, and improper buccolingual inclination, these three items that deliver our malocclusions have a direct effect on the tongue's home. All right, as we've been talking about the home for the tongue, more professionally, it's called oral cavity volume. Improper arch form, improper arch width, and improper buccolingual inclination reduce the oral cavity volume necessary for the tongue to be in proper position while at rest, during nasal breathing, and certainly while sleeping. Basically, if you think about how a compactor works, this would be the side walls. If our posterior teeth are the side walls, as we have improper arch form and improper arch width and improper buccolingual inclination, the back teeth are collapsing towards the tongue. The back teeth collapsing towards the tongue is like a compactor would, and as the compactor walls are squeezing in, the tongue's home is being reduced. There's a big difference between nasal breathing and mouth breathing. The functions of the nasal cavity are to filter, humidify, warm, and accelerate the air, all with one purpose, to prepare the air for the lung. If the nasal cavity is receiving the air to pass it to the lung, as the air is filtered, humidified, and warmed and accelerated, being prepared for the lung means that the lung gets to function optimally for the exchange of the gases and then the distribution through the body. All humans are obligate nasal breathers. Proper nasal breathing has the lips together and at rest, the tongue in the roof of the mouth, is completely invisible and silent. That's a breathing that prepares and delivers the air appropriately to our body. The end result of this type of breathing is that you have a human with a normal biochemistry and physiology, a healthy person. The end result of nasal breathing is a healthy person. Sleep disorder breathing. Now the term sleep disorder breathing includes everything from mouth breathing up to snoring through upper airway resistance syndrome all the way to everyone's favorite in the dental industry today, OSA, obstructive sleep apnea. So we wouldn't refer to our patient as having obstructive sleep apnea unless we had that full diagnosis. We use the term sleep disorder breathing because it's a generic 
that means anything other than the proper nasal breathing. So sleep disorder breathing includes the mouth breathers, the snorers, the resistance syndrome patients, and the OSA, the apnea patients. What you get is a decrease in nasal breathing, which alters your biochemistry and physiology during sleep. The body doesn't receive the air the same way through the mouth because it would not be filtered, humidified, warmed, or accelerated. It's not prepared for the lung, so the lung doesn't function optimally. The end result is that this will affect a human being's sleep. And the end result is sleep fragmentation or a disruption of the reparative sleep cycles, which deliver an unhealthy person. Sleep disorder breathing is unhealthy. What are the medical consequences of having obstructive sleep apnea? Well, if our mouth breathing through snoring eventually lands in a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea, the medical consequences are significant. Hypertension, coronary vascular disease, congestive heart failure, cerebrovascular disease, glucose intolerance, and cognitive impairment are just the beginnings of the trouble that happen with an obstructive sleep apnea diagnosis. All of these contribute to very unhealthy. Now, currently, there are obstructive sleep apnea solutions. Currently, there's only one cure for OSA. The only cure for OSA is known as MMA surgery. MMA stands for maxillomandibular advancement surgery. Basically, it's an oral surgery procedure that delivers a maxilla and mandible to a forward position. Behind the maxilla and the mandible is the tube that we would breathe through. We would call it our airway. Patients with obstructive sleep apnea have a smaller or compromised airway. It might be the size of a straw. After completing MMA surgery, that straw size airway becomes a garden hose. So it is the only cure for OSA. It will deliver an airway without compromise so the patient can begin breathing appropriately and sleeping appropriately and no longer have a diagnosis of OSA. After that, plenty of research documenting that oral facial myofunctional therapy, OMT, is proven to be an effective method of treating OSA. But it makes an improvement. It's not a cure. So outside of MMA, the rest of the treatments are supportive and can improve an OSA diagnosis, but will not cure it. So oral facial myofunctional therapy, exercises that retrain the tongue and the facial muscles to behave appropriately. Balance in all the facial muscles produces better breathing. So balancing all of the extra and intraoral facial muscles produces better breathing, can improve a patient with OSA. Of course, there's the CPAP continuous positive airway pressure. CPAP machines are delivered. It's a mask that you would wear to sleep and it would keep that air flowing, takes away the apnea component, keeps the air going in and out smoothly, no pausing. The issue with CPAP is compliance. As a significant percentage of patients aren't able to continue CPAP use after about six months. So the research shows that CPAP use falls off after about six months. So with poor compliance, again, CPAP not being a cure for OSA, just something that can improve the condition of OSA. Having poor compliance means we might have to look at other options to help our patients. Now consider the effect on the heart attack and stroke rate. Obstructive sleep apnea patients have higher rates of heart attack and stroke at younger ages. CPAP use, even regular and excellent compliance CPAP use, the research in the medical industry is showing that good use of CPAP machines does not change the rate of heart attack or stroke in obstructive sleep apnea patients. So while CPAP can improve the condition, improve the symptoms, people would be more rested, have less fatigue, have maybe a more clear head, not be as foggy. 
There are a long list of symptoms that are improved when you get a better night's sleep thanks to your breathing. CPAP does those things. What a CPAP doesn't do is change the rate of heart attack or stroke. It has little to no effect on the difference in the rate of heart attack or stroke on patients with obstructive sleep apnea. Then, of course, in the dental industry, very popular today, are mandibular advancement devices. Mandibular advancement devices are inserted with the intent of pulling the lower jaw forward, which pulls the tongue forward, which does increase the space in the oral cavity to deliver better breathing. And so a mandibular advancement device has become very popular thanks to some of these choices being aggressive and some of them being not so comfortable to sleep with. Meanwhile, mandibular advancement devices have their own side effects. One of the bigger ones is a negative change in the bite. There's a fair incidence of wearing a mandibular advancement device for an amount of time and developing an edge-to-edge or class three type of bite where there's actually a change in the foundation and the movement of the teeth that can produce an undesirable or uncomfortable bite. That's a common side effect of wearing a mandibular advancement device. So we're going to explore whether or not there are other possible treatments that could increase the oral cavity volume and deliver a little better breathing for our patients. Here's some research. Here's a sample of some of the research that's out there that'll connect the dots between our malocclusion and sleep disorder breathing. Mouth breathing has been linked to oral conditions such as craniofacial deformity, malocclusion, and obstructive sleep apnea. Another one states that a narrow maxilla with high arched palate characterizes a phenotype of patients with obstructive sleep apnea. That sentence says the look of the obstructive sleep apnea patient is that they have a narrow maxilla. This is associated with an increase in nasal airflow resistance and posterior displacement of the tongue. The more narrow the maxilla, the more the tongue is displaced down and back, posterior displacement of the tongue. The class two malocclusion is more significantly common in the OSA group. The V palatal shape is a frequent finding in the OSA group. Well, it should be no surprise that a class two malocclusion is more common for OSA patients. The class two has the further retrognathic position of the mandible and the further the mandible goes back, the further the tongue sits back, the worse the breathing, the more common in the OSA group. And the V palatal shape, That's our improper arch form. Our V palatal shape is improper arch form and improper arch width. The components of the malocclusion are showing up in the research on what our OSA patients look like. Snoring is associated with straight profiles. Now, sometimes you're reading the research, it says straight. Other times it says flat. If we take a look at our patient's profiles and we recognize that their face kind of goes straight down, as opposed to the maxilla and mandible being in a forward position, we all of a sudden have snoring associated with those straight or flat profiles. The more retrognathic the maxilla and mandible, the more straight or flat the profile, the more likely we have snoring. The V-shaped palatal morphology, the increased neck circumference, decreased upper arch length, and decreased interfirst upper premolar distance. Hmm. All of these words describe a lack of forward and wider growth. If our patients don't grow forward and wide, Well, now we have an association to snoring. All of these words describe that improper arch form and improper arch width. Patients with OSA had significantly narrower maxilla and mandible arch widths with an increase in maxillary and mandibular dental arch length when compared to control groups. All of those words describe improper arch form and improper arch width. The beautiful proper arch form is a wide dome, so it's wider but shorter. When you squeeze the sides in, it becomes a long but narrow V. 
Patients with OSA had significantly narrower maxillary and mandibular arch widths with an increase in maxillary and mandibular dental arch length when compared to control groups. These findings support the notion that a narrow maxilla or mandible may lead to airway obstruction because of inadequate space for the tongue. That's the oral cavity volume we've been describing. Thus, when the space in the oral cavity is inadequate, it's possible that a normal-sized tongue can gravitate to the back of the oropharynx. This was a turning point because what used to happen was patients who had OSA, they were blamed for having a large tongue. A diagnosis used to be made of, oh, large tongue, that's a big tongue. Of course, we'd have breathing trouble. We have a big tongue. It's no longer considered a large tongue. What they recognized was it's the size of the home. The tongue is perceived as large when the teeth are collapsing in on it. It makes the tongue look bigger when the walls are squeezing in. What you really have is improper arch form and improper arch width. Your tongue is an average or normal size. The face of sleep disorder breathing. In the research, you can find the associations of sleep disorder breathing with increased face height, decreased nose prominence, decreased nose width, and a retrognathic mandible. These are the things that are the look of sleep disorder breathing. The face of sleep disorder breathing is narrow, back, and long. So not growing wide and not growing forward delivers narrow and long. The obstructive sleep apnea research shows the associations with narrow arches, high vaults, retrognathic maxilla, retruded mandible, and last but not least was what used to be called the large tongue. It's no longer referred to as the large tongue. It's referred to as decreased oral cavity volume. It's the tongue home that's been taken away. The tongue appears larger when the walls collapse in. The perspective is to consider whether you have a small home or decreased oral cavity volume for that tongue. Most likely, you have an average or normal sized tongue, and it's just the perception that it's bigger because the walls are collapsing in. Now, what is the role of Invisalign clear aligner therapy? Well, our goal remains to prevent or treat dental disease. So our goal is to treat the patient's malocclusion. We're not treating the sleep disorder breathing. We're not treating the obstructive sleep apnea. We are treating the malocclusion. And the most common form of malocclusion, being the crowded malocclusion, comes from the improper arch form, the improper arch width, and the improper buccal lingual inclination. Our goal is to diagnose our cause of the malocclusion, treat the cause of our malocclusion, and see what the results are when we correct our patient's malocclusion. Now, the clear aligner therapy has a role in open airway dentistry. Certainly, if we treat the malocclusion and we improve the arch form and then we improve the arch width and we improve the buccal lingual inclination, it comes through expansion. So we're moving the teeth away from the tongue. Correcting those three items restores proper oral cavity volume. Moving the teeth away from the tongue increases its home size. An interesting dynamic comes from expansion. Wonderful orthodontic research shows the more narrow the dental arches, the more likely the mandibles kind of trapped back. So the more we can expand or deliver a correction of the arch form, the arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination, the more opportunity we have a slight shift of the mandible forward. So it's not trapped back or retruded. A mandibular shift forward, even a small amount, one millimeter, millimeter and a half, two millimeters, any little bit of mandibular shift forward, thanks to widening the arches, has an effect on the tongue 
because the tongue follows the mandible. If the mandible comes forward a little bit, the tongue comes forward a little bit. We might want to consider this option first. Expansion is very powerful. Expansion can correct the arch form, the arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination. Expansion is our pathway to increasing the oral cavity volume. Let's take a look at some cases where there's an oral cavity volume increase. If we meet Andrew and he presents with that very common crowded malocclusion, we would recognize the top of the slide shows the before photographs, and we have a full display of his malocclusion being crowded and also showing the improper arch form, an omega, the improper arch width. If we were to measure Andrew, the distance between his molars is 32 millimeters. Being male with slightly above average size teeth, we would love to see him in a position where he would have 38 or 39 millimeters between the molars. And of course, the lower collapse following the upper, an omega-shaped arch. So we have improper arch form, improper arch width, improper buccal lingual inclination. The back teeth are leaning in towards the tongue. We have every bit of a crowded malocclusion, and this malocclusion will deteriorate over time. The deterioration over time will include effects on the teeth, the gum, the bone, the jaw joints, the muscles, the dentistry we would try to provide him in the future. All of the things that we would have to be concerned with would age inappropriately. Malocclusions deliver changes in all of the oral cavity structures over time that are accelerated beyond normal aging. So we have to worry that this malocclusion is not built to survive and be stable for him. It's going to deteriorate over time. We would want a solution. In correcting the malocclusion, we would address the arch form, provide a proper dome shape. We would address the arch width. Our expansion technique would widen the back teeth. It would also rotate the molars out to a proper position where we would have a beautiful arch form combined with an acceptable arch width. At the ending, we have 38 millimeters between those teeth. And last but not least, the back teeth are now upright. Instead of leaning in or falling, we have an upright position or the back teeth have posterior intercuspation without interference. The back teeth now occlude without interference and deliver vertical force to the teeth. This is all accomplished with 33 aligners, without IPR, and without equilibration. So while IPR is a tool that we can use, it doesn't mean it's necessary. And in developing an appropriate oral cavity volume, you would want to move all of the teeth out where they belong to maximize the home for the tongue. Maximizing the home for the tongue, maximizing oral cavity volume comes with little to no IPR. The more IPR we would be doing or considering, it takes away on the amount of tooth movement. So we have to think about the home for the tongue. If we want to provide the tongue's home appropriately, we would want all of our teeth where they belong, including all of the tooth structure. So we do try to minimize our amount of IPR, preferably none, so that we can move the teeth, solve the malocclusion through tooth movement, not through tooth polishing. And the less IPR we do, the more room we get for the tongue. Now Andrew's tongue has a beautiful home in the palate to live while he's nasal breathing. So we get an oral cavity volume increase through correcting the malocclusion by addressing the arch form, the arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination. Another case would be Sandra. Sandra again shows up with that most common crowded deep bite malocclusion. When we think about crowded malocclusions, most of them are deep and some of them are open. So rarely do we get an open bite. That's more rare a diagnosis. So most of our bites are deep. These crowded deep bite malocclusions have a compromise in oral cavity volume or a decrease in oral cavity volume. 
On the top of the screen, we recognize our improper arch form, the improper arch width. Sandra's only 32 millimeters across the arch. We have improper buccal lingual inclination. We have teeth leaning towards the tongue. And of course, with a nice expansion technique, we would develop a proper arch form, a proper arch width, and proper buccal lingual inclination. The goal here is to treat the malocclusion and resolve all of the issues that contribute to the malocclusion. Proper arch form, proper arch width, proper buccal lingual inclination. A proper overbite, proper overjet, a canine or anterior guided occlusion, posterior intercuspation without interference, deliver something that is healthy, stable, functional, comfortable, and aesthetically pleasing. Last but not least, we would recognize in the lower row of photos, we have an increase in the space for the tongue. The tongue is always happy to have more room. Oral cavity volume increase comes through treating the arch form, the arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination. If we meet Connor, another example of that crowded malocclusion, he's narrow, he has the omega-shaped arch form, and of course with narrow comes that omega or improper arch form, the same characteristics we would see being more associated with sleep disorder breathing and OSA. The pathway is the same. We would be treating Connor's malocclusion. In treating the malocclusion, we would address the arch form and correct it. We would address the arch width and correct it. We would address the buccolingual inclination the lingual tilt of the back teeth through uprighting or expanding. Most of the pathway in correcting a malocclusion is expansion or uprighting the posterior teeth to deliver a proper arch form, a proper arch width, appropriate buccal lingual inclination, our canine guided or anterior guided and protected occlusion, posterior intercuspation without interference, all of the items that go into making something healthy and stable and comfortable and functional and aesthetically pleasing are rooted in the arch form, arch width, and buccal lingual inclination. Delivering this change or correction of that malocclusion to a beautiful, healthy occlusion produces an oral cavity volume increase. Remember, behind that beautiful wall of teeth is a tongue that has to have an appropriate amount of space to be in while we are nasal breathing. If we meet a patient like Olivia, again, a crowded deep bite malocclusion. A crowded deep bite malocclusion comes with a decrease in oral cavity volume. The V or omega shaped arch, the narrow crowded lower arch, produce a decrease in oral cavity volume. The goal is always to treat the patient's malocclusion. We want to address the arch form. We want to address the arch width. We want to address the buccal lingual inclination. If we're using our clear aligner Invisalign therapy to expand the arches, to upright the back teeth, we're basically improving the arch form, improving the arch width, and improving or correcting the buccal lingual inclination. These three items deliver appropriate posterior intercuspation without interference. Olivia's case, much like the other ones previously, have the same credentials of being Invisalign aligner alone treatment, no auxiliaries, no IPR. We're maximizing tooth movement through expansion. And here we have a result with proper arch form, proper arch width, proper buccal lingual inclination. The last item that these cases have in common is no equilibration. It doesn't mean equilibration is bad. Equilibration is a great tool, and equilibrations are indicated to help people remove interferences from teeth. But equilibration, while it's a helpful tool in helping malocclusions get corrected, equilibrations don't treat the arch form or the arch width or the buccal lingual inclination. They don't convert those things into appropriate you know, that, that comes from tooth movement. So we reserve equilibration for after the tooth movement and where indicated we do it. The more appropriate the tooth movement, the less the equilibration would be. 
So some cases are equilibrated and some are not. These are cases or examples where equilibration was not necessary. If we meet a patient like Chavez, again, a crowded malocclusion through the improper arch form, the improper arch width, and the improper buccal lingual inclination. A significant amount of crowding, a terrific omega-shaped arch to work on, and of course, tooth number 29 leaning in towards the tongue. The photographs at the bottom show the change after 36 aligners. And again, the same credentials as the other cases we've seen. These examples are all through correcting that malocclusion, addressing the improper arch form, the improper arch width, the improper buccal lingual inclination. The similarities of the cases are that mostly they are expansion cases. These are aligner alone cases. No elastics were used. No auxiliaries were used. Attachments were certainly used. Attachments plus aligners. No IPR was delivered to these cases. And no equilibration was done at the end. All of the cases are several years stable. All of these cases offer health, stability, function, comfort, and aesthetics. All of the cases are treated through the malocclusion. But in the end, treating the malocclusion, delivering a proper arch form, a proper arch width, and a proper buccal inclination, increase the oral cavity volume that the tongue enjoys living in. There's a big difference between the top and bottom photographs in all of these cases. You should be recognizing by now you have a wide open palate for the tongue to live in while you're nasal breathing. The nasal breather with the lip seal and that silent and invisible breathing pattern is healthier than mouth breathing or worse. If we meet a patient like Diane, we would again have a crowded malocclusion. This crowded malocclusion comes with an improper arch form, an improper arch width, and an improper buccal lingual inclination. What a surprise. Those are the three components of all of our crowded malocclusions. And the moment we address them, we deliver a proper arch form, a proper arch width, and a proper buccal lingual inclination. All of a sudden, we deliver those items and have the healthy, stable, functional, and comfortable and aesthetically pleasing occlusion. And with that comes an appropriate home for the tongue, an oral cavity volume increase through correcting the arch form, the arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination. The sleep disorder breathing summary includes airway compromise. We have to recognize that airway compromise has many components. Oral cavity volume is just one of them, but it happens to be the one we have the most control over. The oral cavity volume, or the home or space for the tongue, is directly related to our improper arch form, improper arch width, and improper buccolingual inclination. The further the teeth collapse, the more crowding we see, the more the decrease in oral cavity volume. We're basically just compromising the tongue's home, and driving the tongue down and back has an effect on the manner in which we breathe, especially while sleeping. So again, our purpose is to correct the malocclusion and deliver the proper arch form, the proper arch width, and the proper buccal lingual inclination so that we have a healthy occlusion. It just so happens doing those things increases the oral cavity volume for the tongue to live in. Invisalign can be considered as a technique that corrects malocclusion. And in doing so, in correcting the malocclusion through its cause, the improper arch form, the improper arch width, and the improper buccal lingual inclination, we're delivering an increase in oral cavity volume. The best path for correcting a malocclusion is through expansion primarily and possibly a little proclination. But improper arch form, improper arch width, and improper buccal lingual inclination are characteristics of the posterior segment of our malocclusions. So the best path is through expansion primarily and a little bit of proclination 
is usually included. Expand and procline is a solution. Expand and procline is a pathway to healthy. Moving along, let's get into the TMD, malocclusion, and airway connection. The prevalence of TMD, well, look, if you're in dentistry for any amount of time, you would recognize that there is a population of people who have TMD symptoms. You can go through the CDC or the NIH to find variable statistics, but they're significant. A broad scope of U.S. households that are surveyed show 22% have some signs of orofacial pain in a six-month period, identified as TMD being the cause. 12% of the general population suffer from TMD-related symptoms. The NIH would report that 10 million Americans have TMD-related symptoms each year. Malocclusion is recognized as a significant etiological factor in TMD-related symptoms, and while TMD could be multifactorial, malocclusion is recognized as a significant etiological factor in having TMD symptoms. And last but not least, 90% of bruxism is sleep disorder breathing related. So we have wonderful research showing that most of the bruxism going on at night is sleep disorder breathing related. And we're going to build a little puzzle for you as we go through this segment. But it's easy to find TMD patients. All you have to do is hang out in a dental office and you're bound to find them. You can go to the CDC or the NIH for research. Now, some of the symptoms, you know, we use words, patients use words to describe what's going on with the jaw joints. Now, clenching, grinding, bruxing, uni or bilateral clicking or popping. You know, we use the fancy professional words like bilateral and unilateral. Patients will say, my jaw clicks, it pops. Dislocation, derangement. There are all kinds of fancy words, right? Locking. Patients say, sometimes my jaw locks. It got locked. It got stuck. I had to get help getting it back. Uni or bilateral jaw pain. Ear issues. Patients with TMD issues usually report some sort of ear pain, whether it's an ache, a pain, ringing in the ear, their hearing is impacted on some level, a loss of hearing, dizziness, vertigo. As the symptoms increase, as they get more severe, you start heading towards the outside of the bell curve where vertigo, a loss of balance for some patients with TMD is an issue. Temporal pain, you know, it goes beyond just the joint. It goes into the head, the skull, into headaches and migraines. Neck and shoulder pain, you know, TMD can migrate if it's not handled appropriately. A lot of patients will say they have difficult or painful chewing, difficulty opening. All right, current choices for TMD treatment. Well, if we have TMD patients, we have options. Number one is we can either treat it or two, we can refer it. I'm not aware of a third. So we're either helping our patients with their TMD issues or we're sending them to someone who can. We can't really leave them the way they are and just say, oh, live with it. So a very popular choice for treating TMD is to make night guards or splints to reposition the bite to get a comfortable or asymptomatic position. Occlusal equilibrations work. Patients with TMD often have interferences that can be equilibrated and their bites could be improved and their TMD symptoms could be relieved. Botox injections exist for helping our TMD symptoms. Medications can be used and the list is very variable, but anything from the NSAIDs through muscle relaxers the opioid pain medications, the sleep aids, medical marijuana, antidepressants, anti-anxiety. All of these types of medications have been used and are used to treat some TMD symptoms. Patients who get relief end up with chiropractic sessions, physical therapy. More commonly today, they're heading towards craniosacral people and postural people for relief of their TMD symptoms. Patients have tried acupuncture. Acupuncture has been proven to show relief in TMD symptoms for patients. Stress management counseling. Aggressive reconstructive dentistry has been performed to deliver differences in the bite that can be supportive of having a happy and healthy TMJ. Last but not least, the more aggressive is the TMJ surgeries that exist. Anything from opening the jaw joint and doing lavage procedures to full joint replacement. 
Uh, and yes, the jaw joint can be replaced like the hip or the knee. And these procedures do exist. And patients who have years, if not decades of trouble, sometimes pursue those options. Let's focus on the night guards and splints that are being made. Certainly in dentistry, we make a lot of night guards and a lot of splints. And we have to consider the direction. Obviously, if we insert something in the mouth, whether it's a night guard, a splint, an orthotic, an orthopedic, it doesn't matter the words that we're describing. Putting something between the teeth provides a direction of mandibular movement. Typically, it's opening. Of course, you could imagine if you insert any type of splint, you'd be opening the bite. It's impossible to put in a splint and close the bite. So we don't have anything closing. We have an opening happening. So the direction is downward. We're going to get that mandible to come down. And also very common and typical for night guard splint type therapy is a forward position, meaning decreasing the overjet. It doesn't usually provide relief to push the lower jaw back farther. In other words, sliding the jaw back or increasing the overjet tends to produce a little more pressure at the jaw joint. And that can exacerbate our TMD symptoms. So generally the direction that we would recognize the lower incisors heading is that they'd be downward and forward. So a decrease in overjet and an increase in VDO is our path. And that path is to decompress or deprogram our TMJ. It's to provide a position that is comfortable and asymptomatic for our patient. Now we're doing this because we have a retrognathic and or overclosed VDO. So the retrognathic mandible and the overclosed VDO, that's the source mostly of our TMD symptoms. If our mandible is overclosed and or retrognathic, we tend to get a pressure or position of the condyle that produces the symptoms that we would call TMD. So our splint therapy delivers down and forward. Generally down and forward produces asymptomatic. But when we take a look at our splint therapy or all of our choices for treating TMD, we're not necessarily treating the cause, we're treating the symptoms. So if we're going to treat the malocclusion, we might be treating the cause of our patient's TMD. Now we recognize TMD as a malocclusion is a significant etiological factor in our TMD patients. And it's well documented in research that if you have an appropriate orthodontic technique, you can treat a TMD patient orthodontically. If you have an inappropriate orthodontic technique, you could actually cause some TMD problems for our patients through orthodontic tooth movement. So we would like to treat the malocclusion again through its cause so that we would have an opportunity to provide solutions for our TMD patients, again, treating the cause. So a patient like Spencer would be referred to us for orthodontics to treat his TMD problem. Spencer has been treated for about five years along the lines of a TMD specialist and has splint therapy. Spencer's not happy and healthy when he gets to us. He's smiling here, so he's appearing to be happy, but he's struggling with a significant TMD issue. When we take a look inside, we would recognize along the lines of what I teach, a proper arch form and a proper arch width. This measures 34 millimeters. This is not a bad arch width, but it is undersized. At 34 millimeters, when we have male average size teeth, the range of 35 to 39 exists because of tooth size and gender. If we have a male with average size teeth, we'd love to be at that higher range, 37 to 39. We would consider Spencer a couple of millimeters too narrow. But this beautiful proper arch form and width, we have to consider a profile photograph to see where it's located. We know from our sleep disorder breathing and OSA research that flat or straight profiles come with an association to sleep disorder breathing and OSA. Well, we also know with our flat or straight profiles 
that Spencer's likely had previous orthodontic care that was retractive. And if he did have braces as a teenager for several years and it was retractive in nature, he may very well have a beautiful arch form. But if it's pulled back or retracted, it would deliver this flat profile where the upper lip is actually reclined and non-existent. So we have a retracted position that prevents him from getting his bite together. His symptoms are clenching, jaw locking, ear pain, cracking and shooting pain, difficulty sleeping, poor sleep, fatigue. Clicking my jaw causes shooting pain from the left side of my jaw to my left ear. And as Spencer would tell us, my back teeth don't touch. This is the best he can do for getting his bite together. The upper arch was retracted to a point where the jaw joint, the condyle, was forced so far back it couldn't go anymore. And if the retraction continues, then the jaw starts to rotate open. So here what we have is anterior premature contact because the mandible has been retracted or retruded so far, secondary to the maxillary anterior retraction. So while he has a reasonable arch form and a reasonable arch width, the entire complex has been pulled back. Retractive orthodontic technique has contributed to his TMD problems. His malocclusion is what we'd like to treat. Of course, the TMD expert who's treating him would show us where the moderate and severe tenderness exists in the muscle groups. And further than that, a diagnosis of disc displacement and reduction, myofascial pain, deep bite, retruded mandible. The symptoms and cause relationship is where he's been. Of course, for five years, Spencer's been treating the symptoms. He's had TMD splint therapy. He's had day and night splints to start and then graduating to nighttime only. But he does take some medication to manage the pain and also the sleep issues that he has thanks to the TMD symptoms. If we're going to treat the cause of his TMD, we're going to focus on his malocclusion. His malocclusion, the improper arch form, improper arch width, improper buccal lingual inclination, we'd be talking about narrow and back. The opposite of narrow and back is wider and forward. The words we would be using is expand and procline. Our opportunity is to provide expansion and proclination to allow his lower jaw to come forward and close. The repositioning splint that he currently wears to bed has a ramp and a stabilizing position, so he basically is brought edge to edge. If this gives him a slight opening and a slight forward position and keeps him mostly asymptomatic, he has something he can wear to bed every night and it manages his symptoms. But this doesn't correct the malocclusion. It doesn't give him a position to function in. During the day, he still has to function with an improper occlusion. So we have an opportunity to treat the cause, but we have to make sure we understand that our cause is really coming from the maxillary arch position and the maxillary teeth. So in describing this, I'd like to use the criminal victim analogy. Our criminal is the narrow maxillary arch and or the retracted maxillary anterior teeth. The victim is the retrognathic and or overclosed mandible. The retrognathic and or overclosed mandible, that's caused by the narrow maxillary arch or the retracted maxillary anterior teeth. Our pathway to solving this is to treat the malocclusion, and treating the malocclusion will be through expanding and proclining, wider and forward. So when we get to Spencer's ClinCheck, we'll want to make sure we focus on the upper arch. The key to the ClinCheck is making sure that the maxillary arch is widened and advanced forward. So we want to see expand and procline. Spencer doesn't present with any crowding. So of course, if we have to treat someone that has no crowding through expansion and proclination, we would expect to see spacing. As we press play and we watch the clincheck, we would recognize a wider arch forming. We would be starting here 
and fishing here. So we're widening his arch. We would recognize the proclination of the front teeth. They're going forward. So through expansion and proclination, we would be achieving space. This is a 19 aligner count. Spencer's going to go through 19 aligners. We're going to see a relief of the symptoms. It'll be almost a full relief of symptoms, which would mean we would do a so-called refinement or additional aligner set to advance him a little further. After 19 aligners, if we needed more, we might make another 8 or 9, get ourselves up to a 27, 28 aligner count to advance a little further. And again, we continue the process of widening and forward. The widening and forward will allow the lower jaw to finish closing. It'll alleviate that anterior premature contact. Taking Spencer through about 28 or 29 aligners will deliver a wider arch and a more proclined position. The spacing around the lateral is very apparent. But the wider and forward, the expand and procline, delivers an occlusion that he can close his back teeth into. Now, on the right side of the screen, Spencer has full posterior intercuspation without interference. He has very light anterior contact. And at this position, he has full and comfortable TMJ. He does not have a TMD symptom at this point. The results of the expanding and proclining of the arch are that he's completely asymptomatic. He doesn't have any symptoms related to his TMD that he previously had for five years. He wears his Invisalign Vivera retainers every night. He's splint-free medication-free, is getting restful sleep, and is happy and healthy. Invisalign clear aligner therapy through expand and procline establishes a proper position of the maxillary teeth so the lower jaw can come forward and finish closing and not be in a retruded position. If we treat the malocclusion, we learn that it's the significant etiological factor in his TMD. If we meet a patient like Sister Diane, again, we would be thinking about how happy or how healthy she is. Not so happy, not so healthy. Sister Diane, by her smile line, we could show a narrow or crowded malocclusion. It should be no surprise that she has ear pain radiating up to her head. She has pain when chewing for as long as she can remember. Jaw clicking and popping. Ringing in the ears. Fatigue. And this is her occlusion. She's sent to us from a TMD expert that's worked with her for about 10 years and managed her TMD symptoms. Of course, she's going to be wearing splints when she arrives. But here we have our crowded malocclusion. The narrow or improper arch form and improper arch width and improper buccal lingual inclination. The components of our malocclusion are what our focus is. We're always treating the malocclusion. Remember, we're not treating TMD. We're not treating OSA. We're not treating sleep disorder breathing. We're treating the malocclusion. In treating the malocclusion, we learn what symptoms were contributing to those items like TMD or sleep disorder breathing or OSA through the malocclusion. So the patient has an awful malocclusion and a significant TMD history of about 10 years. Our TMD expert will relay the information about the muscle tenderness, whether it's mild or moderate, the diagnosis of displacement and reduction, myofascial pain. Sister Diane would have also had a sleep study in her history, which has the mild obstructive sleep apnea diagnosis. She does have a retruded mandible. And in treating the symptoms, she has this long history of having TMD splints. At the beginning, wearing them day and night. She graduated to nighttime only with the splints. After her sleep study and she had her OSA diagnosis, she did try a dental sleep appliance somewhere. Couldn't wear it for very long because with the dental sleep appliance pulling on the lower jaw, 
it aggravated her TMD symptoms. So she wasn't able to successfully wear a dental mandibular advancing device. So she returned to her nighttime splint. She's been to the ENT. She's had physical therapy. She's currently taking six medications to manage her sleeping, breathing, and TMD issues. If our interest is in treating the cause of her TMD, we would start looking at the malocclusion. If malocclusion is a significant etiological factor in TMD symptoms, we would like to have an orthodontic technique addressing the TMD, which is going to be wider and forward. Retractive orthodontics doesn't help TMD issues. It tends to exacerbate them. So we're always looking for wider and forward, not narrow and back. Narrow and back is tough on a condyle and the disc and the entire jaw complex. So we're looking for wider and forward. Our words for wider and forward are expand and procline. Of course, we want to make sure we keep in mind who the criminal really is. The criminal is the narrow maxillary arch and or retracted maxillary anterior teeth. The more narrow the maxilla, the more retracted the anterior teeth, the more likely we have that retrognathic and or overclosed mandible, which will put our condyle in a position to produce pressure and discomfort, the TMD symptoms that we're used to seeing. Of course, we have a malocclusion. We have a malocclusion on our hands that we should be treating through the arch form, arch width, and buccal lingual inclination. If we take Sister Diane through 30 aligners or so, we would have an expansion technique that would deliver a wide arch, a beautiful form, and appropriate inclination to all of the back teeth. If we treat the improper arch form, the improper arch width, and the improper buccal lingual inclination, we have an opportunity to deliver a healthy occlusion. In delivering the components of a healthy occlusion, we're also increasing the oral cavity volume. Increasing the oral cavity volume, providing a bigger home for the tongue to be in, comes through correcting the malocclusion. Correcting the malocclusion produces a beautiful wall of teeth where they belong. And behind that beautiful wall of teeth is the tongue trying to live in an acceptable space. The difference over the course of time for Sister Diane is that not only does she have a proper occlusion, it's comfortable and healthy without any symptoms. And one of the main changes that we would recognize in her is weight loss, a significant amount of weight loss happening through her treatment. The end result of treating the malocclusion is that she's completely asymptomatic. She has no TMD symptoms whatsoever. She wears an Invisalign Vivera retainer at night and nothing during the day or night aside from Vivera. She's splint-free, medication-free. She loses the six medications that she was taking related to her TMD and or sleeping and breathing issues. A repeat of a sleep study produces a result or diagnosis of no longer obstructive sleep apnea. So she now has no OSA diagnosis. It's a confirmation here that her entire obstructive sleep apnea diagnosis came from the decrease in oral cavity volume, because the only effect that we had in correcting the malocclusion was to deliver proper oral cavity volume, a home for her tongue. In delivering the home for the tongue, the tongue's forward position while she's sleeping produced the breathing that resulted in a diagnosis not involving OSA. How would we know how much of a patient's sleeping and breathing disorder comes from that decreased oral cavity volume until we treat it? So rather than having a dental mandibular advancing device to pull the tongue forward, we might want to think about having a clear aligner orthodontic technique that delivers a proper arch form, a proper arch width, and proper buccal lingual inclination. Correcting our malocclusions through expansion of the posterior segments increases the oral cavity volume, which will have an effect on how well 
a tongue is positioned in the oral cavity during breathing, of course, nasal breathing, and during sleep. The weight loss is very common. It's significantly documented in the medical research that weight gain comes secondary to sleep disorder breathing issues. What happens with sleep disorder breathing is that the brain recognizes it's unhealthy. It is part of a fight or flight response in the airway protection mechanism. But what happens is the brain has an effect on ghrelin and leptin, which are the things that regulate our appetite, our eating, and our storage of the food. And so when we have sleep disorder breathing issues, the brain signals us to eat more. We increase our intake, but the brain also then signals us to hold it or retain it. Weight gain is a preparation for trauma or insult or injury. The brain is storing for some sort of event, all because of the type of sleeping and breathing. Patients don't start off obese. They start off with a sleeping and breathing disorder and they become overweight, then obese. As the body increases intake and storage, result in weight gain. The moment you have a solution for an obstructive sleep apnea patient, that is the moment you start to experience weight loss without effort, without changing the diet or without increasing the exercise. In the end, you have a happy and healthy patient and the opportunity to correct a malocclusion through the arch form, the arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination has connections to some of the other symptoms our patients are experiencing. In the end, we want to pay attention to what we're treating. We're treating the malocclusion. As long as we're treating the malocclusion through its cause, we have an opportunity to have an effect on some of the other symptoms that we recognize come through malocclusions. Our TMD summary is that we should be considering Invisalign therapy to correct our patients' malocclusions, especially when they have mild TMD symptoms. Patients with mild TMD symptoms can go right into clear aligner therapy. Mild TMD symptoms are almost immediately alleviated when aligners are inserted. Invisalign aligners being inserted produce a slight opening. The polymer is such a smooth and slick surface that the mandible tends to slide or position forward on it anyway. Invisalign clear aligners are almost like inserting a splint. For mild patients, Invisalign clear aligner therapy could be immediately started. When patients have moderate to severe symptoms, usually they'll need splint therapy or equilibration to reduce the symptoms. And a combination of splint and equilibration procedures can be used to alleviate the symptoms, basically to prepare the patient for Invisalign clear aligner therapy. Once you have a symptom list that's reduced and a more comfortable patient, then the object is to consider correcting the patient's malocclusion. And there's nothing better than Invisalign clear aligners for expanding and proclining teeth into a proper occlusion. Wider and forward are the words we would use to describe helping our TMD patients. And the words we use to describe Invisalign therapy for that would be expand and procline. Primarily expand, secondarily procline. Expansion and proclination deliver solutions to TMD patients. This concludes our presentation, Stop the Daily Grind and Just Breathe. While I hope I've helped make a connection between malocclusions, sleep disorder breathing, and TMD, I want you to recognize that night guards and splints and mandibular advancement devices do improve symptoms for our patients. Those appliances do not treat the cause of the trouble our patients are having. I would like you to consider treating the cause of our troubles by correcting our patient's malocclusions through the improper arch form, the improper arch width, and the improper buccal lingual inclination. 
Thank you very much for your time and attention. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching this presentation. We are now opening up the floor for Q&A. Please go ahead and submit your questions into the Q&A pod below if you do not already have it open. You can simply type your question into the field and then click Submit. I know many of you are interested in your CE credit. I will be displaying on the screen here shortly the survey. You can also go to the link that was presented just a moment ago. But if you go to the link that is currently being displayed on your screen, you can go ahead and take the survey. With that, we are going to go ahead and start our Q&A. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, please do go ahead and submit them. We will address your questions as time allows. <coughs> Uh, so our first question we have, uh, which I found was very interesting, is there a book, webinar, or course available that could provide the team with physical therapy exercises, OMT, necessary to treat OSA? Ah, the, uh, the best resource for the um, myofunctional therapy would come from the, the uh, group AOMT, and that's the Academy of Orofacial Myofunctional Therapy. And their website is www.aomtinfo.org. The group is run by Joy Moeller and Mark Moeller. And that website has fabulous information, including the research on how OMT, or oral facial myofunctional therapy, has been shown to be very impactful for patients who have sleep disorder breathing all the way up to the OSA. So I would reach out to that group. They also offer um, international continuing education. Uh, that's a group that I've learned a lot from and I continue to learn from, and I would point you in that direction for further education. Thank you, Ben. We have another question. For anterior lower teeth on a 40-year-old woman, what is the maximum expansion on a healthy periodontal case? Uh, the, well, the maximum expansion, typically I describe posterior expansion as limited to the amount of crowding. In other words, it's nice to upright and expand the back teeth until there's no crowding of the anterior teeth. So the posterior teeth get tipped or are uprighted to position, and when they take their position, the crowding tends to go away. And so uh, it's not that there's any limit, it's just that we probably don't have many cases where we would need to make wider something that doesn't have any crowding. So think about expanding the posterior teeth until the anterior teeth have lined up. Thank you. Uh, we have a question coming in uh, regarding recommendations. Do you, do you use the new recommendation to have patients wear aligners only one per one week each? Um, if my ClinCheck is set up to be predictable, uh, meaning that I've focused on mostly uprighting technique, then I have the opportunity for a seven-day change, but I don't start with it. What I do is 
I want to just establish compliance. So I deliver the aligners with uh, the first group being at two weeks, and when the patient comes back, we start quizzing them to figure out how much time they've really worn them. The patient who's wearing them really well, hitting that 22-hour-a-day uh, mark, we go to 10 days and then seven days. So it's the two weeks, then 10 days, then seven days for the rest of the case. Uh, the compliance becomes a little more of an issue with the one-week wear time. Uh, the part about the beginning where I was mentioning about technique, the if you're mostly focused on crown movement primarily through the uprighting and tipping, you're dealing with predictable, so you have a better shot at the seven-day mark. If you prefer to do a lot of root movement, uh, and that would come through power ridges or double attachments, if you're, if you're focused on moving the roots more, uh, I would consider whether or not the seven-day mark's appropriate. You have to think about uh, how that was presented. It's seven-day changes are recommended at the doctor's discretion. So there are differences in the cases. And I would tell you the more complicated the case, the more root movement in the case, the more you need a little more time to get those roots to move. And what I do is deliver mostly crown uprighting and tipping. So I tend to fade more towards the seven-day change once the patient has established compliance. Thank you so much, Dr. Miraglia. Mir <laughs> Miraglia, uh, we have a question coming in. What are you doing to convert uh, convert them to nasal breathing after the aligner therapy if there is a mouth breather preoperatively? Pre Patients who struggle to breathe through their nose have another uh, interesting criteria, and it happens to be uh, issues with the nasal chamber, starting with deviated septum and sometimes just hyperplastic tissue and reduced airflow through their turbinates. So we usually send them to an ENT. Uh, it's become the norm now that if we recognize a patient that has improper arch form, improper arch width, and improper buccal lingual inclination, that narrow arch, it's very probable they're going to have some sort of nasal chamber issue. So I like to refer them to the ENT to learn about what it is to have a deviated septum and what it might mean to correct it. And that has become our second most popular procedure as a referral, meaning let's have that deviated septum addressed so that you have the ability to breathe through two nostrils. It's very difficult to breathe through one nostril, so deviated septum becomes a, a big adjunct. Now, what we can do for helping with the nasal breathing right at the beginning would be, first of all, nasal hygiene, and it starts with blowing the nose, but adults can also work with neti pots. A neti pot is a fabulous tool. It's basically like doing a little flush kind of power, power wash of the nasal chamber. So if you can have an adult work with a neti pot in the evening to clear their nasal uh, chambers, you can go from that to nasal spray, and then third would be breathe right strips. So that little trifecta of nasal hygiene with a nasal spray and then a breathe right strip will make a big difference in a number of the adults. And then, of course, the referral to the ENT to address any type of deviated septum. That correction should be considered necessary for patients who struggle to breathe well at night, and it's, it does make a big difference. Correcting a deviated septum makes a huge difference. Thank you so much. We have a lot of questions coming in, and I do want to let everyone know we will address as many as we can, um, but I just am seeing we might not get to all of them. So all the questions are being captured uh, for uh, posterity and will be addressed as we can. Uh, with the announced upcoming release of Invisalign, first, will the principles you discussed transfer to the GP's treatment of pediatric cases? And secondly, what is the incidence signs of pediatric SDB? Oh, for pediatrics, there's Correct. a... 
Yes, so there, there is some significant research that shows 85% um, of children have some sort of sleep disorder breathing symptom. The sleep disorder breathing symptom is very long. Anything from mouth breathing on up is a significant long list of symptoms. And there have been some studies that have shown 85% of the children have at least one of those symptoms. The, uh, the object for children, again, is growth and development wider and forward. And so wider and forward can be in, in uh, any fashion. And so I choose to use expanders. I choose to use some brackets and wires with those expanders. I use Invisalign in mixed dentition. I'm excited about using Invisalign first. Um, I have used plenty of myofunctional therapy. I'm a big fan of referring a child to a myofunctional therapist. Children need to have their lingual frenums evaluated. A tongue tie is associated with all kinds of uh, issues, including sleep disorder breathing, uh, so that the children have opportunities, and that would be the best age group to fix it in. So the, uh, the opportunity to treat a child between 3 and 11 is helpful. It can avoid the entire future of having a breathing issue all through growth and development. And the goal in treating a child early is so that they would have all 32 teeth erupt where they belong. So the children that we treat between 3 and 11 end up keeping their wisdom teeth. Yeah, and as they keep their wisdom teeth, they have even a bigger chamber for the tongue. With that larger chamber for the tongue, better breathing, better sleeping, and a forward position that's usually developed with anything that is an expansive or advancing technique, a retractive or a distalization or an extractive technique doesn't help the breathing and sleeping cause because we're kind of going the other direction. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I do see several questions coming in about the CE credit and the survey. I want to let everyone know on the line that you can access that link now through the Q&A. I have put the link in the Q&A tool. So if you're not seeing it on your screen in the main slide area, please go to the Q&A tool and you should find it there as well. Uh, we're going ahead and talking about a specific case now. Uh, this case is in regards to Spencer and looking to widen the procline dentition. Are you giving Invisalign specific instructions on arch width or are you just saying expand and procline? If the specific oh, can you repeat the question? I missed sure. that question, Christopher. I'm sorry. No, no, no problem. So the question is in regards to Spencer's case. Uh, and the question is, and looking to widen and procline dentition, are you giving Invisalign specific instructions on arch width, or are you saying expand and procline? If ah, so the treatment form, are... right, the treatment form has an expand section, so it's expand primarily. The procline choice is as needed, and the reason it's expand primarily and procline as needed is so that expansion is weighted. Typically, treating a crowded malocclusion that's narrow comes through the posterior teeth with a little bit of anterior movement. So it's mostly expansion with a little bit of proclination. It's not like a 50-50 where we do an equal amount of expand and an equal amount of procline. Usually, it's tipped towards the expansion. I usually don't use numbers. I know Spencer starts at about 34, but he's going to, in that 19 aligners, he might get up to a, a 37. And then if we get him eight or nine more, he might get up to a 38 or 39. The goal is to land in that range that's appropriate for the person. And so 35 to 39 is a healthy range. When you have bigger teeth, you need a bigger number. When you're female, a little smaller number, male, a little bigger number. But there's a, a kind of a gray area in the gender. But between gender and tooth size, you have an idea of where you should land in that range, 35 to 39. So Spencer, 
above average tooth size, he could be in the 38 to 39 number. But I don't usually ask for the number. I usually let the treatment form by checking off expand primarily and procline as needed, kind of run the show. When the ClinCheck comes back, that's where we get more involved. In the ClinCheck, we can put the grid on the screen, measure the distance between the teeth, the change that occurs over time, and confirm that we've got a significant amount of posterior movement and amount of uh, proclination in there, and then either add to it or treat with that first round of 19 aligners, and then we ended up getting him, I believe, eight or nine more to get him to a total of near 30 aligners, but with a final measurement around 38 millimeters in the arch there. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a fairly long question, so I'm going to just go ahead and read it verbatim. Um, okay. I recommend NGs for patients who seek a non-invasive correction to malocclusions that produce TMD symptoms, including muscle joint pain and headaches. I find that with a permissive appliance in place, posterior interferences to CR can be overcome, which allow the mandible to retrude from the prostrude anterior position dictated by the malocclusion. Yet the patients also report better sleep quality. Does this make sense considering the airway implications? It does. Uh, most appliance therapy delivers an opening, so you get an increase in the tongue space. Uh, the issue with the malocclusion is that appliance therapy is uh, really not treating the cause. And so having been Dawson trained and have a pretty good handle on CR, CO discrepancy or CR, MIP discrepancy, ultimately what you realize over time is that the more you correct the malocclusion through its causes, the more you have an opportunity to have a coincident CRCO or a coincident CRMIP. And the interferences that produce, uh, the interferences that are produced in the posterior teeth come from the teeth being out of position. Moving the teeth into a proper position eliminates almost all of the interferences. So I have a 15-year history uh, with Invisalign treating the malocclusions with very, very limited equilibration. I could almost count on one hand the number of cases I've had to equilibrate over the years because the more I'm willing to move the teeth into proper position, the less likely they would need equilibration. And when all the interferences are gone, all of a sudden the muscles are happy, the joints happy, everything kind of falls into place. So if you think about it, you could play this video in two directions. If you take a, perfect, a perfectly uh, straight and level and aligned set of teeth and then play it in the collapsing direction, meaning, okay, we're going to fold them all in, Everything's going to change. The teeth are going to change. The muscles are going to change. The joint's going to change. But all of it's heading out of position incorrectly. Play the video backwards. Unravel the teeth, putting them back where they belong. Everybody else is going to take their place. So you end up correcting a lot of conditions through correcting the malocclusion. It's that malocclusion that delivered it. And then you have a category where now you're treating the cause of the issue and not so much the symptom of the issue. So while night guards are uh, excellent at treating symptoms, there is one component about a night guard that could be trouble, and that would be if the night guard uh, only directly opens the lower jaw. So if, if the lower jaw is opening, hinging backward, it kind of nudges the tongue back a little bit. So there, there's the possibility of creating uh, a sleeping or breathing problem with a night guard that doesn't allow for any type of anterior movement. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a question regarding uh, patients. What about patients that had exterior of uh, the first premolars and severe occlusion wear? How do we help them? Uh, one more time. One more time on that. 
what about patients that have had exterior of the first premolars and severe occlusion wear? How do we help them? I'm wondering if they mean extraction of the first premolars. Oh. Is that possible? It's that an abbreviation, EXT. So I yeah, it could mean extraction. extraction of the first. Okay, so it sounds like extraction of the first premolars and severe wear. Yeah, so the, the patients that are missing teeth are compromised. You know, the, look, the more teeth you're missing, the less room for your tongue. So it's very simple geometry. Uh, in order to have really a perfect airway and perfect breathing, you really should have 32 teeth where they belong. So everyone with 28 teeth has a compromise, and below that has a further compromise. So the reduction in tooth number uh, isn't helping us, uh, and providing more room does help us. So I would look at the patients with the four bicuspids missing and talk to them about their symptoms. You know, what are they struggling with? Because the heavier the symptoms, the more likely we would pursue moving those teeth farther to see what we could improve by giving the tongue back some space. If a patient who has four bi's missing uh, doesn't have a severe list of symptoms they're struggling with, we might just look for unraveling the crowding that's present and then just establishing some nice arch form arch width as best we can, given the fact that we only have 24 teeth maybe uh, and missing those four. Now, as far as extreme wear goes, restorative dentistry is second. You know, we would be moving the teeth first to establish the foundation. I prefer to restore cases after establishing an appropriate arch form, arch width, and buccolingual inclination. So my preference is to restore second, unless, of course, something is uh, decayed, badly broken down, fractured, uh, symptomatic. Then we might get involved with temporary restorations and then move the teeth and then finalize the restorative. So mostly common sense, but I do try to establish the foundation before I um, move into the restorative phase. Perfect, thank you. We have uh, questions regarding tray therapy. First uh, part of the question is how many weeks per tray? The second part is, is there research that shows improvement of OSA and TMD after tray therapy? Well, I think clear liners are kind of new with a 20-year history, so I'm not so sure that there's uh, anything published with a significant volume of cases. What I have is uh, 15 years of using clear aligners and the last six years using them to specifically treat TMD cases and symptoms. So I could give you my experience is that in the last six years of treating TMD patients, uh, every single patient that has had any type of history with splint therapy, whether it was day, night, or both, has abandoned all splints. So I, I don't have a single patient that's gone through clear aligner therapy to treat the malocclusion that would still require a night guard or a splint. So all night guards disappear, all splints disappear, uh, and certainly the level of comfort is at a point where we would call them completely asymptomatic. So I teach this, and then I have other doctors who uh, uh, would apply the same principles and start to treat TMD cases with success as well. So. The research shows orthodontics that's done appropriately, and orthodontics to treat TMD is usually wider and forward and open a little bit. In other words, take that crowded deep bite malocclusion. If you have a position of wider, forward, open, you're heading in the right direction, and the opposite direction usually shows trouble. Patients that have no TMD symptoms, if they're treated narrow, back, or closed, well, those are the things that kind of bring on the TMD. So with with appropriate direction, you can have relief of TMD. 
and with inappropriate direction, you can cause it. So that exists in the research. Whether or not clear aligners uh, have a significant publication, I don't, I'm not aware of it. So I'm giving you my, my personal experience treating people clinically. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a question, uh, clarification. Were any of the cases presented class two? And if so, was it necessary to correct to class one before therapy began? I don't believe any of the cases were class two. Uh, when I do treat class two, I treat exactly the same pattern. So it would be through the arch form, the arch width, and the inclination. So all of the credentials are treated through uh, correcting the malocclusion at the foundation, the arch form, the arch width, and the inclination. The adult patients who come in class two remain class two. The good news is probably three quarters of class two malocclusions have a three millimeter overjet or less. Uh, only a small amount of class twos have a larger than three millimeter overjet. And correcting class two to class one doesn't necessarily solve a problem because most of the malocclusion components that cause deterioration don't come from the sagittal component, they come from the transverse and vertical. It's the width, the collapse of the width of the posterior teeth when they're angled in or leaning in. What that produces is the horizontal force on the back teeth. So a class two can exist healthy and not deteriorate over time. What you have is an uprighting of the posterior segment converting the horizontal force on those back teeth to vertical force on those back teeth. So when you correct the transverse and the vertical, and the vertical gets corrected by uprighting the back teeth, all of a sudden what happens with the vertical correction is the uprighting of the lower teeth and the uprighting of the upper teeth delivers contact sooner, which opens up the bite, restoring a proper vertical. So the correction for class two is through the transverse and vertical component, and the correction from two to one isn't the big gain as far as the long-term health and stability of the patient. You can be class two healthy. All right, we have another question coming in. How much spacing is acceptable after expansion, and would you close them with, restorative, with a restorative approach? Yeah, the example like Spencer, because he had his teeth already aligned, in order to give him relief, we had to open space. He's more of the rare case where he's perfectly aligned but has the conditions. So we expand, we procline, and if the aesthetics, you know, demand a little composite or a couple of veneers, we would pursue that. Uh, if your patient comes in crowded, their expansion and proclination will deliver them uncrowded. So it would be the overwhelming majority where you're treating the crowding to normal, and then the occasional case might come in where you just don't have any crowding, but they're, they're still a little narrow and still a little retruded. So then your expand and procline technique would open up spaces. If the laterals are undersized, I would put the space at the laterals and talk about bonding or veneers for the laterals. If the laterals are a full size and you happen to have that rare case, then you have to talk about maybe adding to other teeth as well. But I, I don't have that experience yet. Usually the patients come in crowded, and when we're done, they, they don't have space. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I know we are coming up to the... Uh, bottom of the hour where we will be concluding the webcast. We have definitely more questions than we have time for answers, but we will get to as many as possible. I also have seen a lot of questions asking for the CE 
credit link. That has been placed in the Q&A pod. You can go ahead and click that link to go take the CE survey. Uh, our next question, I think we have time for about two more. Uh, we have a question saying, I have a patient who is uh, 70 years old and has a splint for OSA for many years, but now has affected her occlusion. Would Invisalign be a good alternative for her? She's afraid that will it will again give her TMD issues. Well, any patient that has a malocclusion, has TMD symptoms, has a sleep disorder breathing condition would benefit from having appropriate tooth movement. So through Expand and Procline, I, w I would love to treat that case. There's no reason why someone with a malocclusion can't be treated and have an improvement. The, the condition that's happening with that patient, uh, by the way, where the bite is changing from wearing, um, it sounds like a, a mandibular advancement device, the mandibular advancement devices are commonly changing the bite, and what's happening is the force at night is enough to produce changes at the sutures in the maxilla. That lower mandibular, that, that mandibular advancement device pulls the lower jaw forward, but the reverse force is backward pressure on the maxilla, and the maxillary sutures can remodel at any age. So there's a wonderful paper published in 2016 showing that Patients who wear mandibular advancement devices for extended periods of time, years, have worse conditions with their OSA while wearing the device. Typically what happens is after an amount of time, the bite starts to change, the symptoms return, and the doctors tighten the appliance, meaning put more pull. But what's happening is the maxilla is rotating backward. So the mandibular advancement devices are delivering a headgear effect. The short-term effect of mandibular advancement devices hold the tongue forward for better breathing. The long-term effect, it's a headgear appliance, and it's going to retract the maxilla. The maxillary sutures can be uh, remodeled at any age, and that kind of force for six hours is all that's needed. Six to eight hours is all that's needed in a 24-hour period. And the maxillary sutures are going to rotate distally. You'll see it in the bite, but the credentials of the sleeping are going to be worse. So long-term mandibular advancement devices are harmful. They will make a patient worse in the long term. All right, and this is going to be our last question uh, for today. Is there value in using splint orthotic treatment and then transitioning to Invisalign for correction of the vertical forward, et cetera? Absolutely. So the patients who come in with moderate to severe symptoms, it might be difficult to jump them right into a liner therapy. So to alleviate symptoms, to calm things down, to get inflammation to reduce, to recapture a disc, all of the things we would do to take a moderate to severe patient to mild, then jump into the orthodontics are appropriate. So we'd be looking for any type of splint or orthotic or other therapies that are available to get that patient back towards more comfortable, reduce the symptom level, and then jump into correcting the malocclusion. It's always appropriate to correct the malocclusion. And so mild cases I mentioned in the presentation, just go right into aligners, you're probably gonna be fine. Moderate to severe symptoms, you know, be the judge of kind of reducing the symptoms in order to go through a clear aligner therapy through Expand and Procline. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude our presentation today. This session has been recorded and will be made available uh, post-event in about a week. You can also find the link to the CE credit survey in the Q&A pod. Just click on the Q&A pod and the link will appear there. I want to thank you for attending and I want to thank Dr. 
Miraglia for presenting today's material. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude our presentation today. Thank you very much. You may now disconnect.